might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bonk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a bonus start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and asks, yes, but would you? It's the festive pod parchment that puts the screw in Scrooge, the dick in Charles Dickens, and the rod in King Herod. I am Aidan McCaffrey, I am not a historian, and this is... Catherine Mather, who also is not a historian. Uh, but we are comedians, and as you've said, we're poorly for history. We'll fuck those historical figures, if you know what I mean. <laughs> right, Aidan? <laughs> Horny for history... Fapping ourselves for facts. That's yeah. what we're all about here on Hot Not Pod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome back. You've been treated to bonus bangs for the last few weeks, but this is the first full-length episode since season one. This is the Christmas special. Uh, I have not seen you, Kath, in a while, actually, because we recorded the bonus bangs over summer. I understand you've just got back from a trip to Australia and Singapore. How was that? Did you see any interesting historical things on your trip? Uh, I have just got back. Yeah, I had a wonderful time visiting the colonies. Um, I felt very guilty about (laughs) all of the things that we've done to them. The only thing I regret when I visit the colonies is that they are no longer still colonies. That's my Mm -hmm, 100%. I did actively seek out information as to what our people did over there. And it did make me feel quite bad. But then I just got pissed with locals (laughs) and it was fine. (laughs) <laughs> They're like, don't worry, Catherine. It's ages ago. I like how you can offset whatever guilt you feel by sunning yourself on their beaches by going to a museum where you learn about how uh, we whipped their ancestors into submission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, at £14 for a pint of Carlsberg, you don't get drunk much in Singapore. <laughs> One thing I will say about Australia, and I know that you have will have been often, uh, given your connection to the land. Um, you are, of course, a previous convict. Um, <laughs> it upsets me that they're like, yeah, we've got a drinking culture. Yeah, drinking culture. And then you go, and it is so expensive. Like, I paid the equivalent of £10. It was basically like $20, $20 for a four-pack of beer in Perth, right? And it was like cork can sizes. Yeah, that's insane. How can you have a drinking culture? How can they afford a drinking culture with those prices? Mm. Although, and this is amazing, we need to get this here, they have drive-through off-licenses. When I went, they have like hybrid betting shop bar mm. that catered to both. I mean, literally the only thing that could make that more dangerous if would be if there was a drive-through off-license on the outside. <laughs> and now you've mentioned it, I'm not putting it past them that they actually did have that. I had to cross the uh, the driving space to get to the fridges that I wanted, you know, in, in this bottle shop. Um, have you been to a, a traditional Australian bar? Yes, because I, I went on a road trip through Mount Isa, which is like mining country. So we did go into some, that's kind of, that's where I saw my betting shop bar, uh, the William Hill and Duck or whatever it was called. How come? Right, yeah, because when when everyone was like, oh, oh Catherine, you have to go and see a traditional Australian bar. I was thinking like, you know, like a, tr- a traditional English pub, 
where there's like a little log fire, there's all the little side rooms, exposed beams, a sum in a bottle of gin from 1842 <laughs> when some guy got it cut off in a bar fight. A rifle above the bar that no one's sure if it's loaded or not. Exactly, all of that shit. That is what I had in mind. And then I got taken into this traditional Australian bar and it's like a Weatherspoons with a bunch of porkies in the back. And I was so disappointed. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? But are you sure you weren't just in a Weatherspoons? Or, or, or was your friend like, I'm going to take you to the finest bar in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. And you were like, this feels like the shitty Weatherspoons at Elephant and Castle. What the fuck? Yeah, well, this was actually in Melbourne. So it was the, the finest bar in all of Victoria. <laughs> now it's dog shit. My wife, who is from Australia, as you know, she's upstairs listening to me record this podcast and she's just texted me to say, we have drive through bottlers. That's a normal thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Apparently very normal to have a, dri- a drive through off license in Australia. <laughs> it is. And my final thing that I will say on Australia, the name of their criminals, amazing. Like, I went to the old Melbourne jail, and at the beginning, you know, in does your heart drop when they're like, it's going to be interactive, and like this actor comes out dressed as a prison guard and starts shouting at you, and you're like, no, no, I just want to read about the prison. (laughs) Just put a plaque on it. I don't need someone who needs a Saturday job from their theatre degree to act me through the history of the Australian penal colonies, please. Exactly. And she could fucking smell performer on me. (laughs) So, like, she was avoiding me like the fucking plague. And I was so present... Anyway, she was like, <laughs> she said, oh, all of the, I, I wish that I could do this in an Australian accent, but I've got a bit of a cold, so it's, it's not going to happen. Perhaps you can translate afterwards. So we've had all of the big criminals here. We've had Ned Kelly. We've had Squizzy Taylor. Like, Who the fuck is Squizzy <laughs> Taylor? <laughs> we've had all the big crimos here. Ned Kelly, Squizzo Taylor. <laughs> Jazzy Magoo, all the big ones. <laughs> Ballbags McGee, he's been in here. <laughs> Platypus Bob, hmm. Joe Mangle, no, he's from Neighbours. <laughs> My Australian wife um, has just texted me to say, the first police department was made up of the most well-behaved convicts. <laughs> <laughs> how many um, How many times do you, do you joke about her uh, criminal record? I don't have to. She's quite proud of it. Like, oh. genuinely, not her criminal record. She's a... Uh, her mum is like traced back most of her family history. She's descended from someone who was sent to Australia for swearing in the streets. Oh my god! And I can't remember if we've discussed this previously, but my assumption um, with the whole convict sending convicts to Australia thing was like, oh well, that's bad, but they must have done some pretty bad stuff. We must be talking murderers, pederasts, and rapists here. No, no, no. It was like bread thieves and people who said God damn too loudly in the street. That's yeah. who they sent over there. It's wild, isn't it? So I read a, a really interesting book called The Floating Brothel, and it was about how they'd sent all of these guys to Australia, all of these convicts, for, like, blasphemy and shit. Uh, and they'd sent them all over there. And then they were like, why are they all so angry all the time? And they're like, oh, because they've got nothing to fuck. So they just got, like, (laughs) boats and boats of women who had, I don't know, like, again, said, oh, my God, or whatever. And uh, they just sent them all for seven years. It was only seven years that you got sent for. But also they didn't pay your voyage back. (laughs) So it was forever. Yeah, I mean, in those times, 
seven years to a country that is literally 10,000 miles away. Very, very much a life sentence, it feels like. Yeah, when you only live for 14 years, seven years is quite a long time. (laughs) The other thing I was going to briefly mention was we've been shadow banned on TikTok. And I cannot for the life of me figure out why or how to undo it. People just say, I'll just wait it out and then it'll be fine. But it's been like a month now and there's nothing. For those that don't know, basically our most viewed video on TikTok is like 1,500 streams. Not a lot in TikTok terms, but, you know, it's a presence there. And then just suddenly I was getting zero for everything. Now, it might be that we're not funny and no one wants to watch our videos, but it's unusual to go from 1,500 to zero. The only thing I can think of is that because I was looking at like what might violate their terms. And the only thing I can come up with that we may have violated is nudity. Not because you or I have been on there flashing our genitals, but because I did post an image of the Vitruvian man, uh, the Da Vinci painting of a famously naked man. So it does seem like posting an image of a 15th century cock and balls may have got us banned from TikTok, which is in itself very funny. But I would like to be back on there. So if any of the listeners know how to unshadow ban oneself, let us know. That would be great. And also, I've never been prouder of us. Does this mean that we can't put out the episode um, where we get naked? In the, uh, not on TikTok. We can put it out on um, Twitter mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in purely text form. Awesome. What we do is take it in turns. Uh, this is Aidan's turn uh, to suggest a potential suitor uh, that we've uh, found on the historical dating app eTrothed. Uh, Aidan's going to send me a picture. Uh, I'm going to first give a, a, an aesthetical uh, review of the gentleman. That's uh, so what I think about that. Objectify him. Uh, and then we'll learn about him. And uh, at the end, decide whether I would fuck him and he'll go on the beer your tap that astray, uh, with other such greats as Judy the dog. Thomas Beckett. <laughs> Shroud of Turin. Lord Byron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Havisham. I mean, Miss Havisham's not on there, is she? No, no, you we, said no. We rejected her as a sexual partner. You did. Well, because why would you, would you have said yes? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I think, Kath, your yeah, why not attitude just largely destroys any tension that we try and build up in these episodes <laughs> by just deciding almost immediately, well, it is sex and it is on offer, so I am going to say yes. Are you calling me a slag, Aiden? Well, no. Well, yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm calling oh, you okay. a big slag heap. That's what I'm saying. Awesome. Let's start the episode. Well, it's a Christmas special, Kath. Open your e-troth dap. This is Nicholas. He is 74. And he is from Antalya, Turkey. Okay, well, again, it is an interesting choice of image. So either the three naked men dancing in the barrel are tiny, (laughs) or he is fucking huge. (laughs) He's wearing actually quite a nice dress. I would wear that. If you were a bishop. Or were you just saying you'd wear that in your house on a cold day in winter? Just bishops, guards and a mitre. Yeah, he looks to have layered up a bit. The the cape is a bit much. Um, But also, weirdly, there's... There's like a man just in the background walking past the door having a little look in. (laughs) And I want to know what he's thinking. What I learned from the Jane Fool episode, if you'd have done this episode, you'd have made it all about the man (laughs) in the doorway at the back and be like, I want to know what's going on in his life. Yeah, I am uh, am here for the little guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm here for the powerful white men in history. That's what I want to know about. Yeah, we don't know enough about them, do we? Yeah, this image, it's like a... St. Nicholas is looking over a barrel with three... They look like little men, don't they? Mm-hmm. They're not the children. 
What? Yeah, I know it's biz- it's a bizarre image because I only know it's children because I know what story from his life that relates to. Look at one of them's balding. They've got hairy chests. <laughs> Thinking children must have been like that back then because the life expectancy was shorter. Mm. If you're only going to live till you're 28, if 28 is a sign of a good long life in uh, fourth, cent- fourth century Turkey, you probably are going to start getting a bald patch, you know, when mm. you're in kindergarten. Do you know what I mean? Life is very stressful. I suspect it will be hard to do a festive special in a history podcast because, as you pointed out in a previous episode, Kath, all history podcasts effectively become dark humour podcasts because all they are is death, death, paedophilia, and a bit more death. Mm-hmm. But let's attempt to put some uh, tinsel on this misery fest anyway. The modern-day myth of Santa Claus, a kindly grandfather figure who bestows gifts on children on Christmas, stems from the myth of St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra. Uh, very little is known about the life of St. Nicholas as he, as he was born in turbulent times. According to Wikipedia, in the 3rd century, the Roman Empire saw the combined pressures of barbarian invasions, migrations, civil wars, peasant rebellions, and political stability, with multiple usurpers competing for power. In other words, holidays are coming, holidays are coming, holidays are coming, holidays are coming. What could be more festive than political turmoil, Kath? According to the National Geographic, the original St. Nicholas was a Greek born in around 200 AD. He became Bishop of Myra, a small Roman town in modern-day Turkey. Nicholas was neither fat nor jolly, but developed a reputation as a fiery defender of church doctrine during the Great Persecution in 303, when Bibles were burnt and priests came to renounce Christianity or face execution. Deck the halls with burning Bibles. Fa la 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 Regarding his looks, so that image I sent you, that's like a late artistic interpretation of a legend relating to St. Nicholas. Right. Digital artists added details to his bones that were based on best guesses. So they, basically, imagine he's olive-skinned because he's from the Mediterranean and mm-hmm. he's Greek. He has brown eyes and he has the grey hair of a 60-year-old man, which is often how he's depicted in old artworks. Basically, imagine the dad from Staff Sells Flats. That's probably what Nicholas looks like. Mm -hmm. While it would take over a thousand years for the legend of St. Nicholas to evolve into the traditional Santa Claus myth that we know, in the Middle Ages, Nick was a figure known for his legendary kindness and gift-giving. So, I'll tell you one of the most famous stories about him, and this is sort of where the idea of Nicholas slash Santa Claus the gift giver comes from. According to National Geographic, three young girls were saved from a life of prostitution when young Bishop Nicholas secretly delivered three bags of gold to their indebted father, which was then used for dowries so they could be married off. That story has been curiously absent from the traditional Santa Claus narrative. Where did Santa find these elves? Well, they were due to become sex workers, but old Nick intervened and gave them jobs in his toy factory. That's an interesting one, isn't it? No, 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 don't sell yourself to multiple people. Just sell yourself to one person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, what a hero. Imagining that's where the uh, cookies and milk thing comes from. You must leave cookies and milk out for Santa Claus as a thank you for your sister not having to suck cock for coins. Yeah, exactly. Although, if I got a sack of gold for Christmas... Oh, yes, please. That's that's what I want for Christmas, Mum, if you're listening. That's your diary. You can't touch it. Get your hands off. That's yeah. what they'd say to you. That actually raises an interesting question, doesn't it? Like, the dad clearly felt they either have to get married or they have to become mm-hmm. sex workers, which suggests that he totally eliminated the middle ground of they can carry on living in here <laughs> until they've, they're on their feet. Do you know what mm. I mean? It's like, it's like how some parents now... 
let the child stay until they've got enough money to sort of afford their own place to live. Mm-hmm. Imagine if instead of doing that, it's like, no, 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 you, you'll sell yourself or, or nothing. There was, yeah. <laughs> there was no in-between option here. But dad, can't I just get a job in Asda? No, it's sex work or nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But either way, it doesn't matter whether the dad is a dick. Nicholas has come out of this quite well. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew what was going to happen, and he intervened. It doesn't really work, though, these days. Uh, last Christmas, I sent my neighbours a Christmas card, and it had a £50 note inside in the message, just a little something so your daughters don't become whores. And uh, it went down a lot less well than when St. <laughs> Nick did it. So. Just a bit of yeah. advice for listeners there. Historical hot or not. According to Nicholas of Myra by Jonah Lendering, um, he argues that this desire to help women was quite characteristic of 4th century Christianity due to the prominent role women played in the early Christian movement. This was clearly before the church decided that women were basically the shit on the devil's shoes, uh, which, to be fair, I think was the right call. So. Hey! Including you, Kath. No. What I find interesting about this um, sex worker story, it gives you a good example of how folk- folklore spreads. So like, the story, the original story is a man saves some girls from sex work a millennium later, that has evolved into he's a man who rides a sleigh powered by flying reindeer and he's the chief elf employer in the Northern Hemisphere. Like, mm. how how do you get from one thing to the other? Yeah, that is insane, is it? Very Chinese whispers way. <laughs> yeah. I would love it if Coca-Cola had adapted the sex workers story for the uh, for their adverts. Yeah, like it just opens with a line of dozens of red trucks on the North Pole. You hear that holidays are coming, holidays, and it just pans down to some old man ch- <laughs> chucking some bags of coin through a window and going, don't become whores. <laughs> and then it just says, Coca-Cola, the taste of Christmas. Yeah, paying off pimps. <laughs> Thing is, Kath, if that's what happened to the legend of St. Nicholas over 1,500 years, what's going to happen to the legend of us, like of you and I? You know, we're presenting a podcast where we ask if we'd have sex with historical figures. In 1,500 years, the legend about us will be that we are magical sex elves who travelled through time on a flying femidom, gifting orgasms to all the kings and queens of history. Well, whenever we're not recording, that's what we're doing, isn't it? (laughs) According to National Geographic, Nicholas rose to prominence among the saints because he was the patron of so many groups due to a story in which he rebuked the waves and saved a ship from drowning in a storm Nicholas became venerated as the patron saint of sailors and travellers history.com says he's the patron saint of sailors children wolves and pawnbrokers so basically if Nick is if all the saints are top trump cards you want Nick in your deck you know you might lose on miracles you might lose on number of frescoes but if you get challenged on the number of things your saint is a patron saint for you're going to wipe the floor with them. Pawnbrokers, though. Yeah, I was literally just written down pawnbrokers question mark. It's like, how on earth do pawnbrokers have a, have a, have a saint? You know, what, what, you know, what next? Saint Stephen, the patron saint of DVD trading stores. <laughs> it's, just, it's just bizarre. Yeah, I think the people who sold your mum's wedding ring so that you could afford to heat the house <laughs> need a patron saint. What a great guy. You know, when you have to do a drop down on a website to say mm. what uh, your job is. Mine doesn't it rarely shows up on those. It's really annoying, and yet somehow pawnbrokers have a patron saint. Yeah, <laughs> what's fuck? going on there? Anyway, who knows? In a thousand years, maybe I will have one. Maybe there will be a patron saint of uh, broadcast resource coordinators. Who knows? <laughs> Kath, do you want to hear the story of how Saint Nick became the Bishop of Myra? Yeah, I do. So it's quite difficult. 
involves a lot of work. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, when Nicholas returned to Myra, the priests in the city had decided that the first priest to enter the church that morning would be made bishop. Wow. Nicholas went into the church and he became the bishop. Amazing. <laughs> that is incidentally how Tories picked Liz Truss to become the new prime minister. They just were like <laughs> there in the conference hall and went, the next person that walks through that door is going to run the UK. And Liz Truss walked through and they were like, Ah, oh, no! I was—I swear, I swear, I caught a glimpse of Sunak out there, and then <laughs> she walked in. Bollocks! That was um, embarrassing, but also really good for her. Like, if I could do a job for three weeks, two of which were National Morning, and then just retire <laughs> on one hundred fifteen thousand pounds a year. It sounds awful, but it's probably more of a legacy than I'm going to leave for literally anything. So, fair play to her. Yeah, what a bit. I actually reckon with this Nicholas thing, it's that. The first person to enter is the most devout person. So mm-hmm. if he's praying at 5am, he should be the bishop. Yeah. Um, even though it does it does sound a bit like, I'm going to chat up the next girl that walks through that door. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, or is it maybe it's just the first person in has the keys to the building. Yeah, no, he should be bishop. He's already <laughs> opening up and locking up. Well, in that case, how come the bishop didn't become the janitor there? <laughs> that would have been like a funny oversight. The first person that comes in gets to be the bishop. The janitor walks in. They go, oh, shit, we forgot the janitor opens up. Yeah. All right, Steve, how's it going? Yeah. No, no, not, not you. You don't get to be. <laughs> According to Michael the Archimandrite's Life of St. Nicholas, which incidentally is like one of the earliest, most comprehensive and well-regarded historical accounts of his life. But even that was written 500 years after he was alive. There's not really that much that's concrete about St. Nicholas. It's mostly just stories that you have to decide whether they're true or not. Mm-hmm. The next story is one of the earliest attested stories of St. Nicholas. is one in which he saved three innocent men from execution who were sentenced to death by a corrupt governor. Nicholas intervened, pushed the executioner's sword aside, and released them from their chains, chastising a local juror who had accepted a bribe. And all I want to know is, where was St. Nicholas when FIFA accepted the bribe to host a World Cup in Qatar? Uh, St. Nicholas could have been pretty bloody useful then, couldn't he? How did he know that they were innocent? What if he uh, unchained them all and then they just went on a murdering spree? (laughs) Nick! (laughs) This is the problem with vigilante justice, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. That's why Batman wouldn't work in the real world. It's like, it's all very well you beating up, you know, local goons. Unless you put them on trial... You're just like that prime minister in the Philippines who executes people he suspects of being drug drug smugglers. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, most of the stories about Nicholas are things that were essentially hearsay and folklore over centuries. It does feel like the daughter sex worker story could have happened. It's not fantastical. It does feel like he could have intervened to save three innocent men. They don't feel too outlandish. The next story, and the one which explains the initial image I sent you of Nicholas looking over a barrel with three naked children in who look like men. According to the stnicholascenter.org, there was one tale of a butcher who lured three children to his house, cured them in a barrel, and planned to sell them as ham. <laughs> Nicholas was visiting the region, saw through the butcher's lines, and resurrected the pickled children by doing the sign of the cross. Now, Kath, I always say at the top of the episode, I am not a historian. I reckon I'm enough of a historian to denounce this as being historically untrue. I don't think he resurrected some children that were about to be sold as pork sandwiches. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit as well, because it's not like they'd just died. They had been cured. 
Like they were, they were so dead. They were food at that point. You didn't give, you didn't give them a CPR. No, like no, 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 no. It takes a long time to cure something. Yeah, yeah, they were dead. They were gone. Those kids. Wikipedia says, although this story seems bizarre and horrifying to modern audiences, mm-hmm. it was tremendously popular throughout the late Middle Ages and oh. is depicted in stained glass windows, wood panel paintings, tapestries, and frescoes. Eventually, the scene became so widely reproduced. Rather than showing the whole scene, artists began to merely depict Saint Nicholas with three naked children and a wooden barrel at his feet. Eventually, people who had forgotten or never learned the story to begin with started misinterpreting representations of it. The fact that Saint Nicholas was shown with children led people to conclude he was the patron saint of children. Meanwhile, the fact he was shown with a barrel led people to conclude that he was the patron saint of brewers. I think this story, it's like a microcosm of why religion is a problem. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Because there's no concrete thing. It's just century after century, the story gets distorted. And eventually, a story about a man resurrecting some children becomes like, oh, we can't tell if he worships people who make beer or children. Those are very different people. Also, I don't know about you, Kath, if there was a story about me and three naked children in a barrel, Mm -hmm. I would want some heavy clarification on any image reproduced of that story. I was resurrecting the children from being sold as cheap pork. There was nothing weird going on. I might even go so far as to say, if given the opportunity... I wouldn't resurrect three naked children who'd been turned into ham just in case someone photographed it and it got interpreted the wrong way. Yeah, 100%. You need to keep things clear there. You don't want to end up with people spray-painting shit on your house, do you? Um, (laughs) It's a good thing Nicholas existed before the tabloid press mm -hmm. because the tabloid press would have had a field day with that. St. Nicholas and three naked children photograph scandal, Mm -hmm. you know. And also, no one's going to believe the ham story. So, no, no, because it's insane. There's just pictures of you everywhere as well. You're like, oh, God, take them down. Oh, it's in the church now. <laughs> oh, God, there's a fresco in Venice with it on. I can't live this down. You know, people worry now that the, because of Google, you can't escape any mistake or perceived mistake you've ever done. St. Nicholas can attest this was a problem in the 4th century. Mm. You know, he saved three children, and then hundreds of years later, there's dodgy images of him with kids circulating every bloody stained glass window in Europe. People think that you're like an alcoholic child lover. It is tradition here in historical, hot or not, to go through a sort of mini biography of the life, but that's that's kind of it, Kath. Those are like the big things about him that have contributed to his image and how he became Santa Claus. We don't know how he died. I've told you a few stories about him. There are some other things about him that are out there, but th- they're not proven. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he went to the Council of Nicaea, which is like a big uh, Christian conference of bishops in the fourth century. But there's actually no evidence he did go. I'm glossing over that and a few other things. Mm-hmm. There is also a debate about whether he existed at all. I think it's generally accepted that he did live. According to St. Nicholas by Joe Wheeler, less than 200 years after St. Nicholas's probable death, the Eastern Roman Emperor Theodosius II ordered the building of the Church of St. Nicholas in Myra, which thereby preserves an early mention of his name. There's bones out there that are alleged to belong to him. Uh, National Geographic says, traditionally it was believed that the bones of St. Nicholas were stolen by Italian sailors during the 11th century and the taken to the crypt of the Basilica di San Nicola on the south coast of Italy. According to Wikipedia, Venice claims to hold roughly 500 bone fragments from Nicholas's skeleton, mm-hmm. which scientific examinations have confirmed are anatomically compatible with the ones in the Basilica di San Nicola in Bari. And also, this was according to BBC News, a fragment of pelvis bone 
claiming to be belonging to St. Nicholas, has been radiocarbon tested. And it does come from the time of St. Nicholas, who was believed to have died in 343 AD. And what could be more a historical hot or not Christmas special than proving Santa Claus exists because someone carbon dated his cockbone? Well, quite. It's a shame that the boner doesn't remain, isn't it? But... Yeah, it'd be great if um, Santa Claus's cock was pickled in a jar, like allegedly happened to um Ra Ra Rasputin. Ra Ra Rasputin's uh, cock. And be like, no, we know Saint Nicholas is real because we got his penis in a jar of vinegar. Um and you have to leave it out so they'll come and collect it at Christmas. <laughs> Just wants to make sure it's still there. Mrs. Claus insists he goes and checks. Don't come back without your dick, because <laughs> you promised to shag me on Boxing Day when all your work was done. <laughs> Jonah Lendering, a Dutch historian of classical antiquity, notes that Michael the Archimandrite's life does not contain a conversion narrative, which was unusual for saints' lives of the period when it was written. So the bones, he probably didn't was real. He probably didn't save some kids from being turned into Greg sausage rolls. Mm. I think that seems like a fair historical assessment. Mm-hmm. Kath, would you ban Santa Claus, a.k.a. St. Nicholas? Good grief. You know, I've been thinking about this whole time, and I am unsure. Because... I'll be honest, like the picture's not very attractive of him, but then, you know, I don't photograph well either. No, that is not true. So, no, it is, and that's fine. Uh, so I don't feel like I can, you know, comment on that, really. <laughs> a, a dick's a dick at the end of the day, isn't it, Ed? And, uh... <laughs> Again, you saying things like a dick's a dick <laughs> takes all the tension out of the will they won't they in terms of what I'm presenting to you guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's just too involved with the church. To be honest, I just, I don't feel like we'd have, I mean, he seems a nice guy, sure. He's got skills, like, you know, if I fall in the bath, and I hurt myself. He's resurrected three cured children. So he's going to be able to, to help with that cracked vertebrae, isn't he? You know, <laughs> that's useful yeah. to have around. But I don't want that to be the only reason that we are going out together. It's like how it's always good in a relationship if one of you can do DIY. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my, my wife's good at DIY, so we've got that. But it's not like I met her on the first date and said, can you put up a shelf? She said yes, and I said let's get married. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be the only factor. Exactly. E- even if even if healing a broken spine would be damn useful mm. if you slipped in the shower. And also, I think you'd get quite complacent, wouldn't you? Like you would have no sense of fear if you could just like call him up and be like, "Darling, <laughs> yeah, I fell out of a window again. Uh, can you come and fix my legs?" And then one day you just wouldn't be able to and you'd be like, oh, no. He'd be like, I feel like you're taking advantage of my miracle powers here. Yeah. I have other stuff to be doing. Mm-hmm. I've got cured kids to be saving. I've got girls to be saving from a life of whoredom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're like parachuting without <laughs> taking a parachute with you just for the lols that you know I'll fix you <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, exactly. I think he'd get bored of me very quickly. Um, so, I mean, he seems like a real nice guy. Sure. But I'm I'm gonna say no. Shocking. Yeah, simply because I I just it seems a bit boring, and I don't think we'd have enough in common. And <laughs> you know, as much as I like alcohol, well, he's not even the patron set of alcohol, is he? He's the patron set of palm brokers and brewers. And brewers, yeah. Ugh, no. I'm I'm quite shocked. I mean, what do you think is going to happen now, Kath? Do you think 
Surely you're now on the naughty list. You've literally just said I will not have sex with Santa Claus. He's got a wife, Aiden. Why do you think he has this international jet-setting life? He's not doing it because he wants to give kids toys. There he is. He's doing it because it's the perfect cover for a life of adultery. Yeah, but it's one night. Like, if he was just out shagging, it would be so obvious because they'd be like, no kids got presents on Christmas Day. What were you doing, Santa? And whose bra is this <laughs> in your glove box? If you can give two billion children presents in one night, mm-hmm. you can afford to dip your dick in, in a lady in between. Yeah. Time does not affect, is not a problem for this guy. Clearly he's got like some TARDIS type contraption where you can just do it all. You can have multiple affairs, you give multiple presents. In a way, I reckon, the giving presents thing to kids is a cover for the adultery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he can just be like, hey, I'm the nice guy of, of, of the North Pole. <laughs> and then it's only later that we find out uh, he was a massive douche. Yeah, and that would be classic bloke, wouldn't it? None of them can just do something nice. It's always as cover for something shady. Um, I'm not going to try and talk you out of this, Kath. Usually when you say no to people I propose, I try and convince you. But actually, we say yes to far too many people, so I'm just going to take your first answer. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a rare no from Kath, uh-huh. so we're leaving it at that. One last thing for the Christmas special. I have a fact stocking. A fact stocking. Ooh. Do you want to hear some of the facts I have in my fact stocking to do with Christmas? Yeah, do, baby doll. First fact from the fact stocking. The festive fact stocking. Coca-Cola have often been credited with turning Santa Claus red from his traditional green colour. Now, while this has since been disproved, the Soft Drink Company's association with Christmas actually goes back to the first century of the Common Era, when Mary, Christ's mother, reportedly breastfed the infant Christ Coke Zero from her breast in what the Gnostic Gospels describe as the first miracles. Unfortunately, Gnostic Gospels aren't considered canon, which is why that story isn't well known. Oh my god, I wish that I could breastfeed with Coke Zero. Exactly, because your kid gets the nice hit of Coke without all the added sugar. Yeah, amazing. And your boyfriend, Reese, would have a nice treat if he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Look, come on, just because I told you, doesn't mean that you have to be like, give his full name and fucking home address out on the first record that have allowed you to include anything. So li- listeners don't know this, but for the last, say, three or four episode recordings, I've known Kathy's dating someone called Reese. So I've mentioned him at every possible opportunity. And after the first record, Kath went... Now bear in mind, like, this was an episode in which Kath had been talking about doctors putting their hands into the vaginas of women without washing their hands in between and then them dying from weird venereal diseases. Um... Kath was, like, fine with that, but she's like, Erden, can you cut out the bit when I say I've got a boyfriend because my mum doesn't know? <laughs> and I'm just like, but you want me to leave all the stuff about doctors fisting women in the 19th century? Oh, yeah, that's fine. She likes that stuff. I just don't want her to know about the boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I sound. Second fact from the festive fact stocking. There are some who think the nativity didn't happen and that the whole melancholy story of a pregnant woman, a full-in and a barn birth was actually just the first John Lewis Christmas ad. Mm. That's a fun fact, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, Third fun fact from the festive fact stocking. The flying reindeer myth comes from an old Scandinavian tradition of catapulting reindeer at the moon to hasten the coming of the winter solstice, a tradition that still takes place in the annual Stockholm Caribou Chucking Festival, which is happening this very weekend. And my fourth festive fact. The practice of filling stockings with presents comes from a bank closure in the 19th century Boston, which forced men to pay their sex workers by filling their stockings with satsumas. 
In some American red light districts, citrus is still considered legal tender. Those are the festive facts. There'll be more next year. Um, wow. They're all true as well, are they? They're all absolutely true. That's what's amazing about all those facts. So, yeah, 100% fact-checked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do say we're not historians, but we do fact-check everything here. Well, that's the end of the Christmas special. Kath, in a very unfestive act, has denied consent to St. Nicholas. Kath, what are your plans uh, for this festive season, apart from not having sex with St. Nicholas and instead having sex with your boyfriend, Reese? <laughs> Stop! Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, St. Nicholas is out there giving everybody something and I would not even give him one. I, I, I guess I'm just going to go and see my family, eat too much, drink too much, and then go back to work. What will you be doing I'll... if you love fucking St. Nicholas that much? <laughs> I'll, be having, I'll be banging old St. Nick, good yeah. and proper, mm-hmm. um, by the fireplace, as is his yeah. want, so he can make a quick mm-hmm. escape. Uh, and then I'll be having a lunch with my mum and my wife at my mum's house, and then a week later on New Year's Eve, all the family are coming to our house. And we're going to host Christmas at our house for the first time ever. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I imagine that will actually be incredibly stressful. Up until now, Christmas has been, you know, just relaxed. I go to my mum's and I eat as much as I want, want and talk as much as I want. But the first of which is a lot, the latter of which is very little. But alas, mm-hmm. I do not think I'll get away with that this year. No, I mean, it sounds awful having all of those people in your house. Um, I, guess, I wouldn't yeah. want it. Because you sort of, you've always got to be on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can only really be on for about 90 minutes before I lose interest, which is why these podcast recordings, I get progressively less funny and more disinterested as they go on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I well. begin disinterested. So <laughs> Anyway, that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, spread the word. We tweet about every episode. We put every a clip of every episode on Insta. Please share them to your stories, do all that kind of thing. We've also started a new fun thing on the Instagram page, which is I'm doing not uh so far is daily but i can't promise it'll be every day i do a fun poll in the instagram stories they're historical polls it's would you rathers based on mm-hmm. people from history you can actually see the old ones because there's a there's a story collection on the instagram page at hot not pod so ones we've done so far include who's the hottest 17th century chancellor of the exchequer Fulk greville or richard weston who is the hottest vice president to Richard Nixon, Spiro Agnew or Gerald Ford? Gerald Ford won that by some, some margin. The one that we've got up today is the sexiest pope with the number seven in their name. Is it Pope Clement VII or Pope Pius VII? Currently, Pope Clement VII is winning with 100% of the votes. Uh, wow. Which is an absolutely damning legacy for Pope Pius VII. But um, mm-hmm. it's only fair. Pope Clement was an absolute babe. So mm-hmm. that's a bit of fun you can have on the social media page. We also have the Kofi page, ko-fi.com slash hotnotpod. And you can buy us a coffee or donate some money to us. And then one day, maybe we'll be able to do this more regularly because we can afford mm-hmm. to. So we currently yeah. can't. We cannot. Uh, so spread the word, spread your legs. And remember, <laughs> it's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside, the inside of the coffin. Inside of the coffin. That counts. That counts. Yeah. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not. If you'd like to contribute, we would fucking love that. So you can find us. We're at Coffee. Buy us a coffee. Uh, don't send it to us personally. It'll be cold by then. Uh, but it's co-b.com forward slash hot nut pod. Uh, send us some coffee. Not real coffee. Send us the money. Coffee.
Episodes written by Aidan McCaffrey and Catherine Mather. Our wonderful logo is by Richard Todd. And all music by David Eagle.